0: More people every day are ditching animal products, embracing plant-based foods, and speaking up for what matters. With my experience as an international instructor for vegan nutrition and an award-winning author, I interview experts, innovators, and celebrities about the global movement towards a plant-based future. Do you wanna learn how to combat the injustice in our food system affecting your health, the animals, and the planet? Well, you're in the right place. It all starts here with Eating Like You Give a Damn. Welcome to the Eating Like You Give a Damn podcast, the place to discover your passion for plant-based living, one bite at a time. I'm your host, Stephanie Harder. If you're looking for some clarity around what the deal is with dairy and why a professional athlete, or better yet, an Olympian, would choose to ditch it, then this episode is for you. Dotsie Bausch has become a powerful influencer for plant-based eating for athletes and non-athletes alike. In the Olympics, while riding for Team USA, while facing staggering odds, she produced a medal at the 2012 London Olympic Games, eight U.S. national championships, two Pan American gold medals, and... A world record. You can find her triumphant story chronicled in the Netflix documentary Personal Gold. Dotsie is one of the stars in the newly released film The Game Changers, which chronicles one of the world's most dangerous myths about protein and has been named by Veg News in 2019 as one of the top 20 most influential vegans in the world. Her popular TEDx talk titled Olympic Level Compassion has garnered over 275,000 views, and has been a catalyst of change for thousands of people. Her latest initiative is founding the nonprofit called Switch for Good, proving that cow's milk is not part of a high-performance diet. In this interview, we chat about how Dotsy once struggled with an eating disorder that nearly claimed her life before choosing a vegan lifestyle. And she sets the record straight about some people's concerns about whether or not veganism is an eating disorder. She shines some light on dietary racism, one of the most overlooked food injustice issues directly affecting the livelihood of our African-American, Asian, and Latino populations. And I think you'll really feel like your eyes have been opened to this issue. And she explains what milk is meant for how it's produced, and why it's not as healthy or even necessary as we've been taught to believe. Plus, Dotsie gives us fun and helpful tips during your vegan transition for the upcoming holidays. Hey, health coaches, if you are a plant-powered coach or a wellness practitioner and you want help with getting clients and growing a thriving online coaching practice, I started a Facebook group just for you. Whether you just graduated or are trying to figure out how to attract your ideal clients consistently while loving your work and the impact you're creating in the world, you'll learn how to design your program that delivers a massive transformation for your clients while helping animals and the planet too. Head over to eatinglikeyougiveadam.com forward slash coaching and request to join. Now it's time to dig in with Dotsie Bausch. Dotsy, my love, I'm super excited for you to be here on the show with me. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. <laughs> I'm excited too.
0: This is going to be an awesome conversation. I'm so excited to go a little bit deeper with you. I saw the Game Changers like as soon as it came out in the theater and I was just like, man, this chick is freaking awesome. So I'm super happy to have you here on the show and and be able to share with all of the listeners what you got going on, girlfriend, because it's a lot of good stuff. I'm glad you like the film. Oh, That's yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah. And then and then we'll we'll Good. we'll get more into that as we as we kind of go through this. But uh but okay. where okay. I, okay yeah, where I like to start with the guests is kind of going back to the beginning, you know, back before you discovered a vegan friendly lifestyle. What was your family mm-hmm. life like? You know, where are you from and what was yeah. your idea about health and your and your you know feeling about animals? How did that all start?
1: Yeah, well, i grew up in um in this in the midwest or the south however you want to look at it whether you're from the midwest or the south the south thinks it's the midwest it's it, i grew up in kentucky so um i had an amazing uh upbringing and have amazing parents and family and i grew up just um, like the typical kind of all-american kid i um Uh, you know, I grew up eating everything, uh, including animals. I grew up eating, you know, barbecue and brisket and and, uh, macaroni and cheese and Kentucky fried chicken. And um, my dad's side of the family was actually um, in the thoroughbred horse racing industry. And I grew up riding saddlebred horses. So I grew up um, with the uh, notion and thinking that I loved animals because I did. I had We had dogs and rabbits and hamsters and gerbils and fish. And, you know, I mean, I was constantly begging my mom for another animal that we could add into the mix. Um, I love spending time with them. And, uh, but, you know, I was still in that mindset of just not really, uh, you know, enlightened that if I love animals, then I'm probably not eating them, right? Like that would be, that would make sense. Um, So I was 35 years, you know, just never really thought for a second that the, um, The fact that I loved animals maybe meant not eating them. So that's, uh, that was uh, the the whole, my whole history is just um, loving animals and putting them on my plate, which now just gets me teary eyed even saying it, um, you know, and thinking back to how much um, uh, misery I've caused. But anyway, turned over a new leaf, but we can go into that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can totally empathize with that, too, because I know that when I first had that, you know, that moment of clarity and uh, made that true connection, I, Mm -hmm. too, was just like, you know, like looking back on that shock that I had in that moment up until now, 10 years later, Mm -hmm. where I I feel the same way. I I think back to that moment and I'm just like, God, how did I, like, how did I not know in the first place? (laughs) Like, Mm
1: -hmm. what was I telling myself? I have no idea. Right, right. How did that not add up? Yeah. 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 Loving some and eating others and wearing yeah. others and being entertained by others. And it's a whole uh whole like mapping that we have of of animals in our culture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I'd love to go deeper with that with you specifically because of your mm. uh connection with building Switch for Good and all of that good stuff. But I know that there's something um very interesting about your history too, where you were battling an eating disorder. And I know that I've got some listeners that are probably really, really interested in that because there seems to be some sort of a correlation with some people. I've read it online. I don't know where this came from at all, but veganism and anorexia are somehow like related in some way. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you've heard or read about that too. And then maybe tell us a little bit about your
1: experience. What led you to the eating disorder? Well, I get – no, I have – I get emails all the time about it because if you look at veganism as a restrictive style of eating, then, of course, it can be correlated and connected to um, uh, uh, all types of eating disorders really. Um, So, you know, as you and I both know, um, it is – for us the opposite of restrictive it's complete and pure and open freedom you know it's it's living in alignment with your values it's living with life on your plate every day instead of death um and it's getting uh more connected to uh this earth and the species that we share it with so it is a uh full-blown lifestyle obviously Whole food, plant-based eating is a way of eating, whereas veganism is certainly a way of living on your plate with your clothes, with what you buy and put in your house, not wearing leather, not buying, you know, so it, that that is a complete lifestyle of just choosing compassion and love over cruelty. So when I get those, the, those emails, you know, I just, I try to really explain that and kind of explain my journey with um, when I switched over. Um, about 10 years ago, like you, it was about nine and a half years ago, I um, was completely 100% well and healed from my eating disorder and had been for a good 10 years. So they didn't run congruent for me at all. I mean, there, there, it wasn't a, it wasn't a part of my healing was not, whole food, plant-based eating or, or veganism, it was, um, it was diving deep into my pain and my angst and my self-loathing and, um, all that was going in, on inside of me. So, um, but as I, uh, moved over to not eating animals, which at that point I was 37, almost 37 and just a couple of years out from the Olympic games, uh, I came in via the ethical route which is you know kind of maybe not shocking since I was just talking about you know my passion and compassion for animals and and who we share the planet with but um, I very quickly was as you saw in the game changers just kind of blown away with what? the whole food plant-based eating did for my performance and did for my output and had me, um, stand on the Olympic podium at 39 and a half, which is the oldest competitor ever in history in that discipline, um, male or female. So it was, and I'm only saying that not for like, yay me, I'm saying it for yay, not eating animals because, um, you know, nutrition obviously is, you know, extraordinarily important in an elite athletes, um, process, right training and what you put in to be able to recover from training. So, um, to be able to do it on a plant-based diet, um, was surprising to me too, Mm -hmm. and many others, but, um, really freaking cool because, (laughs) because now I get to tell people about that, you know, and, 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 and then I of course never gone back. So I'm about 10 years in and feel amazing as ever. Yeah. Yeah.
0: At what point did you have that moment of like making that connection with what was on your plate, what you had been growing up eating, you know, what you were probably taught to eat as a, an athlete. Sure. Where did you make that connection with animals and, and kicking them off of your plate?
1: I saw, um, I saw some footage of what goes on behind closed doors of our industrial agriculture food system. Just you know, I I don't want to go into gory detail. It's very easy to find on the internet today. It wasn't as easy back then, but it's you know, it's it's not hidden anymore. (laughs) You can watch Earthlings if you want and just get the whole the whole scoop (laughs) in a ninety minute documentary. Um, But uh, yeah, it it just it 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 was like this window of of uh, of time that I felt almost completely numb for this period of time while I was watching this, and I remember thinking as I'm watching it even that this is horrible, but this clearly is not something that goes on every day, all day. It was also in another country because they were um, speaking a a different language. So I remember also thinking, oh, that's horrible, but that doesn't go on here in America because, you know, I'm sure that our um, government uh, protects and serves it's people. I think I thought so, and and that must include our food system, right? Like that should include our food system. That should include um, what people are eating and what they're putting on their plate. So um, that took me on a whole journey of just you know spiraling down into the rabbit hole, um, doing much more research to understand what I had seen, and that that is indeed the case uh, here, right in our own backyard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Now, as far as your journey is concerned. Uh- where, where along the spectrum of your timeline did that correlate with like your eating disorder and healing from that and then yeah. making your way into the Olympics? And then like, what's the timeline
1: there? You yeah. know, that'd be helpful, to, right? To <laughs> We're just putting the pieces together. <laughs> yeah. So I, um right around the time I graduated college is when I uh, my eating disorder got really bad. I, I I graduated and I had majored in journalism and thought I wanted to go into hard news and uh, did an internship. I went to school in Philadelphia and re- recognized at the final hour, right around graduation, that I actually didn't want to do what I thought I wanted to do. Pretty much my whole life at all, um, and so that just sent me on a tailspin of um, fear and anxiety and and worry. I didn't have the money to go back to, to college and study study something else. I was I was like knee deep in debt uh, from school loans. And uh, I just felt really, uh, I was just frightened. And I and so it put me in this space of feeling just very out of control of my life. And I definitely have a bit of a control type personality of many of us do. And so slowly, but surely, I just started to uh, place control over my intake of my food, because that was the one thing that I, I felt like I could have control over, um, which is true, right? We all, that's pretty much maybe all we have control over in our lives, uh, in, in any given, any given day. So I started to slowly but surely control my food and it, and it, it just completely took over my life and spiraled, spiraled way out of control. I got very, very sick in a pretty short period of time with anorexia that then moved into bulimia. So that, that was about a five year, five year period of time where I was really quite sick. Um, and, and, um, Towards the end of my journey of healing from that, which was about a two-year journey, um, my therapist uh, suggested that I try some kind of like sport or exercise or movement, just something to get me moving my body in a healthy way again. Because I definitely had the, the over-exercise aspect of anorexia, which is really quite common, you know, part of the disorder. And so she wanted to just kind of move me, uh, uh, you know, as I, was, as I was so much better, she knew that I would want to be able to move my body health away again. So she had me pick something and I just chose cycling, really quite frankly, because I was living out in Los Angeles by that period of time. It's sunny all the time here and beautiful and warm. And I was like, well, a bike would be cool because then I could ride up and down Pacific Coast Highway and just enjoy um, the wind in my face and that freedom that I thought I would experience on a bike. Because I had not felt free for many years. I had been, you know, just in chains and in the confines of my eating disorder. So I, I chose cycling. Um all, I, I, it was a whim. And um, <laughs> you know, I just I I literally just kept going with it. I mean, my story is just a story of not quitting. Um, because I, I wasn't all that good in the beginning. Um, I was never that all that, even that talented in it, meaning physically talented, like when I went to the US um, Olympic Training Center and got tested, blood tested, watt bike tested, you know, measurements of, of performance and output, I came like very marginal amongst, you know, those that may make it to the Olympic Games. So that point, um, I started cycling at 26. And by 29, I was uh, starting to to get good. And by 30 on a on the U S national team and traveling around. And then, um, Olympics was 2012. So from the time I started cycling, it was a good 13 year journey to, to get there.
0: Yeah. yeah. So you just like woke up one day and decided, you know what? I think I think I'll enter the Olympics
1: with this. You enjoyed it that much and you're yeah. that competitive. I love it. I know, <laughs> no. I mean, when I when I started cycling I I, I mean I had, I had no dreams or aspirations at all to go to the Olympics. I mean, just because that sounded insane. I was just loving being well and, and being free. And then I started racing and I liked that. I liked how it felt. I liked the competitiveness out of it. And I wanted to see where I could take it, but it wasn't until probably, you know, a couple of years out from Olympics that I realized that I had a shot. Mm-hmm. So it I mean you know it was a, it was a long it was a long road as it should be right. as, as it always is to the olympics right because you can't just enter like you have to obviously qualify and it's a whole there's a lot of people fighting for the spots and um you know you don't find out you make the team till a few months before
0: Right. Right. So then let's talk about your nutrition during that journey, yeah, right? So yeah. so what was your nutrition like when you were first starting to really train
1: hardcore, when you knew you were entering the Olympics? Like what was that yeah. like for you? Well, I mean, I was an omnivore till 35. So I mean, that was, that was, you know, eight years of my cycling career, mm-hmm. um, which in, in that period of time um, I was eating whatever, because I had come out of my eating disorder and really had, you know, created some healthy rules where I was not going to be weighing any food, counting any calories, measuring any ingredients of foods. And I was very clear with my nutritionists about that and they were very respectful. So I was just eating whatever literally anything and everything and just you know just trying to um recover and get enough calories in and in and just you know i didn't really think all that much about food i've never been uh a very good cook at all so i just it was like just kind of i just ate because you know was I had to eat, um, but by by the time I had had moved over to Whole Food Plant Based, that's when food started getting really interesting and exciting to me. Um, and I think it's because I was soulfully connected to it. Now you know there was a reason I was eating the way that I was eating, and it felt very empowering to say no to you know animals and animal products. I love that that experience of of saying you know you know, no, I'm not going to have that. Or that's not, you know, at a restaurant, if they didn't really have, you know, something that I, you know, that a whole food plant-based type of meal that I it was empowering saying, you know, that I'll go eat after or, you know, and not bending to say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to eat that. So um, I just started diving into, you know, the nutrient, more nutrient dense foods, I, I really started recognizing that it was the, it was the foods that were high in antioxidants, high in nutrients, high in vitamins, high in minerals that were going to help propel me to recover faster and help propel me to be able to produce more out, output and, and bring my performance up. Um, so instead of focusing on what you hear a lot of athletes talk about macronutrients, right? Carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. I was focused on micronutrients and just really tried to fill my plate with as much color as possible. Um, And if I did that, I easily was getting in enough macronutrients. I think we are Mm. like, we're like way over obsessed with macronutrients. Um, And nobody needs to be unless you are a uh, physique bodybuilder. Like those are the only people that maybe have to like move that around a little bit as they bulk up and then shred for competition. The rest of us. So what is that? Like a half a percent of the population? I don't even know. (laughs) Including many professional athletes. Like if you are getting enough calories and nutrients, you are getting enough protein. You are probably getting enough carbohydrates. Like it, it just automatically is in all of the foods because every single plant food has all three macronutrients. That's the other thing that if something was alive, they have carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. So all plant foods have those in them. So you fill your plate with them and you're going to get enough.
0: We've been so fed this information about what we're supposed to be eating as far as how we're supposed to be getting our nutrition, particularly protein. And mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it's just, it's interesting. So that's yeah. why I really love what you're doing with Switch for Good, particularly.
1: Yeah, it's really been... um You know, it's just been so long that we have been fed this information, um, mostly spirited by industry uh, and selling their products to us. Right. I mean, that's most of the mark. Well, not most. That's all of the marketing that we get. Right. And you see some of that, a lot of it in game changers. Right. With the with the meat industry and how um, much they push that idea on us. So, you know, it seeps in that seeps in over time. And it seeps in, you know, it seeped in when it started, you know, in, in the, in the fifties and sixties and seventies, when our parents were um, kind of learning what they should, will should or would, or end up putting on, on their plate. And then that just filtered straight down. So it was just like a part of Americana, you know, growing up. And so we don't, there's so many things that we don't question you know, you just don't even question that that's the case or not the case. It just is. And so that's what you're eating. And, um, that was really the impetus of switch for good is stopping taking a breath and just asking the question, mm-hmm. does that make sense that cow's milk is a, a full good nutritional value for a human being, an adult human being, right? Cause we're not, we're not still needing breast milk from our human mother, so why are just questioning that whole belief? Like, and, and and then peeling back the layers, and of course understanding that not only do we not need it, it's quite noxious for us to be um, ingesting. So I think just in anything, we just we need to just be asking more questions. You know, just open, honest questions about not only our diet, but you know, the cars we drive and, 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 you know, what's, what's in our homes and the, and the relationships we build. I mean, you know, it's just, um, just being a little more inquisitive. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. Because
0: I know that, uh, you know, back when I first found out this information, I never even thought to ask those questions. And so I know there's still a huge part of our population that because we're just so inundated with the advertising, the marketing, it's everywhere, right? And then every time, you know, a study comes out that's not funded by the meat, dairy, or egg industry, you know, or Mm -hmm. pharmaceutical industry, Mm -hmm. you know, there's another study that contradicts it.
1: Right. Yeah. And if you ask people, or at least in my experience, when I ask people why they eat meat, I've never heard an actual reason. Like it's just, I mean, we eat meat because everyone else eats meat. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the truth. I mean, I—I I, and I, I'll put myself in that box for 38, 35 years. I didn't have some, this whole reason I, that I could give you. It was like, because that's just what we do. So those are people's reasons. And it's like, I started questioning going, okay, that's not a valid reason, Dotsy. You, you, you know, there's a lot of things in your life that you have chosen not to do, uh, that a lot of other people do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> so that's not like a solid reason or defense for why you're doing this. So that's, uh, that helps people to think, help to me to think, you know, if it's just like what, you know, when people say, why are you vegan or why are you vegetarian? I'll be like, well, I, why are, why do you, why are you an omnivore? You know, it's yeah. like they—they never really know. Uh, I didn't either, because it just—it's mm-hmm. just—it's the norm, right? Like that's the—that's the carnistic view. Like that's the norm, and then vegetarian and veganism is like this niche, like you know, thing that we should question. It's like no, we should question all of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Now, now, as far as you getting that amazing role that you got to participate in the Game Changers, how did that all come about for you? Um.
1: It was uh, I. I was connected with um, uh, uh, James Wilkes, who who is the one that takes the journey um, to figure out how he can recover well from uh, blowing his knees out. The UFC fighter that um, takes us on the journey in the film. Um, uh, uh, Brendan Brazier connected me with him. So Brendan oh, nice. Brazier is the author of the Thrive Diet, and he he and I were were friendly, and um, so he just said you you know to James you you guys should go to lunch. I think she would be good for the film, and this is super early on. I mean, this was 2016 that he and I met and sat down for lunch, and then uh and then he decided you know we we'd maybe do the story. So then I you know then we did the interview and stuff, but it was it feels like a bazillion years ago, but it it was a while ago. It's 2019 now. Right. So, um, yeah. So anyway, that's how. Yeah. Nice.
0: I know he had been working on that project for so long. I think he said a total of like eight years he had been working on that film. Um, when I had, when I got to interview him uh, a couple of episodes ago, but just like hearing that journey was just super amazing. And I just, I I just know. know that as, as a woman, you know, I was just super excited. First of all, that there was a you know, film coming out that was particularly speaking to the men, because, uh, you know, we know a lot of vegans and vegetarians that are already, you know, I mean, we're predominantly female. I mean, if we look at the metrics, right? Yeah. The guys, yeah. you know, they they just still like, you know, oh, I gotta get that meat sort of a thing. So I was excited to see that. But at the same time, I still felt like, you know, oh, I can't wait to see a woman up there talking. And so when you popped up on the screen, I was like, yes. <laughs> a little bit of <laughs> well, female. In there. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it does. It's good that it speaks to the men. You're right. Cause it's like yeah. uh, the stats of every hundred women that go vegetarian, um, 86 of them stay vegetarian. And yeah. and for men, it's like 16% of them, Uh, 16 of them out of a hundred. I mean, it's just like, really, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, men just take a lot of flack for what's on their plate. It's, 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 it's lame. You know, they can't order like a quinoa and spinach salad when they're out with their, you know, work friends or, you know, out at a party, right? Like, They're like, why are you ordering rabbit food? Whereas nobody questions if you or I ordered one of those or a quinoa salad with some, you know, fruit. And, and, you know, that's like, oh, that's normal. So, yeah, this film does a great job of just kind of twisting that whole thing on its head.
0: Yeah, exactly. Now I know Believe. I've had you know the the luck of being able to have a partner in my life that when I was ready to take this journey and start making the transition because it was pulling on my heartstrings. I had just it's all of a sudden I woke up and I knew who I was supposed to be. My husband came along with me on that very journey, and yeah. and that was really incredible. So did you have that sort of same
1: experience? I did. Yeah. We're very lucky, girl. We are. I have a some. I mean, I've got some friends that it's like that's that's not the case in their home, and I just can almost not even imagine like I just don't now you know I I guess we just would have taken it it together and whatever happened happened and we would have worked it out but um it's uh it's it's super totally incredibly awesome (laughs) that we're on the same journey he's like I "I mean we're not
0: trying to pour salt in the wound listeners I'm just I know know, It's
1: it's just really nice he was kind of like a little bit right after me, you know, so I was still, he, he's, um, half Filipino. So he really was, he grew up eating a lot of fish. And so that was the last thing he gave up. And I, I still remember, I'm vegan and I would go to like whole foods and I would go up to the fish counter and I would literally ask the guy, I'm like, I need the fish that was like, just like clocked on the head, just in a (laughs) moment, didn't know it happened. Like, I know the guy thought I was mad and, you know, but he played into it and was probably B- BSing me and he'd be like, Oh yes. And he was like, I was like, and then finally I got to where I was like, I can't do this anymore. You're going to have to go buy your own fish. You know, he wasn't eating anything else, any, any animal, other animal products, just fish. And then one January 1st, um, he just was like, okay, that's it. That whole system is horrible too. I'm done. I'm done. And he never took another bite. He he's, He's very strong like that, but he said, I asked him just the other night, I said, if I died, would you go back to eating animals? He was like, you're weird that you ask those questions, first of all, but um, he's like, no, what? why? And I was like, okay, cool. I can die now. Like,
0: <laughs> That's so funny that you say that because I've actually had that very thought with my own husband. I just haven't asked him the question yet. <laughs> I- And it's just because, like you know, I mean, like he knows how to cook a couple of things, but you know, he by no means like knows how to like put together a a nutritious meal. You know, (laughs) so I'm like, are you gonna like the thoughts in the back of my mind? Like, are you gonna cave? Like, if I'm not around and like your guy
1: friends like you need your protein. I know, I know, I know. Well, ask him, and then you'll know. Because I I feel better now. Like, if I get hit by a bus, he's gonna like not go back (laughs) to.
0: There's peace of mind with that, right? You Mm -hmm. know the answer. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So now, okay, so now you've moved into the space of true activism. And I know that uh, that for you, of course, that started like when you started making these changes for your own life, but then you you started hitting the limelight. And I know that you got to partake in putting together a commercial uh, in 2018 for the closing ceremony of the Olympic Games. Tell us how
1: that transpired and, and how it went. Yeah. We have another one coming for next year for Tokyo 2020 yeah. with some big athletes so many more... Athletes are kind of like gotten the memo in the last two years and have, you know, taken out. So, um, well, it really started, honestly, just as I was already saying, where I just realized that we needed to do a better job of questioning why we're drinking cow's milk, why the industry has said milk does the body good, right, And and got milk and built with chocolate milk and all of the monikers that they use. and most of them, you know, uh, perpetuating the myth via athletes, you know, putting athletes up on the podium and saying, you know, this is really good food for athletes. So it started that way, just that, that desire to, you know, have some harder questions asked. And, um, yeah, just, I mean, the milk and the United States Olympic committee have been in bed together since, Before 2008, so it was still they were there was still a sponsorship of the U.S. Olympic Committee in those years when I was still racing and at the training centers, Colorado Springs and Chula Vista, mostly where I um, trained at the Olympic training centers, the the cafeteria was just full of dairy foods. I mean, they even had a, a bar called the Recovery Bar, and it was just whey protein and yogurt and milk and cottage cheese, and it was disgusting. Like there was nothing. Now I'm sure there's some alternatives on the recovery bar, but back then there weren't. It's like nobody was, you know, asking for sprouted brown rice protein or other things to put in. So I just was like, you know, this is so gross, and 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 so many people have major digestive issues with cow's milk right it, over half the world's population it's it's almost 70% I, I mean that's a problem right there that's a food justice issue is what that is that that we are as a country anyway our government is pushing a food group on people on the, on their people that can't properly digest it and Obviously, there's loads of issues with not being able to digest something properly, right? From from um, stomach cramping to bloating to diarrhea to constipation to waking up with stuffy nose to mucus in your lungs to psoriasis. To I mean, you know, I every day, almost every day, I talk to somebody who has some kind of, you know, issue, whether it's a skin condition or you know a digestive issue, and nine and a half times out of ten, if they take out dairy, it's gone. Mm-hmm. You just people just don't even know. They don't know that they have an intolerance to it. They don't know that they have uh, either an intolerance or a full blown dairy allergy. I mean, it could be either, you know. And it's like it's like three percent of the population have a gluten intolerance. And like mm-hmm. 2% of the population have an issue with shellfish. And the, you know, people are always trying to put it in that same category. Well, it's just like, if you have, you know, a weed intolerance, like, no, it's not because it's like almost 70% has this issue with dairy. So, um, you know, for athletes, obviously that is, it's it, and as you know, it's higher in people of color. So it's like 75 to 80% of people of African descent, it's like 98% of uh, people of Asian descent. Um, It's 85% of people Latino descent. So I mean, that's, that's almost everyone. (laughs) You know, I mean, those are really high percentages. And so athletes drinking this and uh, drinking it or eating it dairy foods and, and having this issue, obviously, that's a major performance inhibitor. You know, like yeah. if you're getting have mucus in your lungs or you are waking up with severe digestive, um, you know, stomach cramping from you know, having it before you went to bed or, or whatever. So yeah, it's just um uh that that's that was our that was kind of our launch at Switch for Good. And then since then we've we've turned into a full-blown 501c3 and have all sorts of um awesome activism projects. And we've been growing, you know, we've got um we have a whole team now and Working hard towards uh, next year because it's a it's a big year for us. Yeah, 2020. Fantastic.
0: yeah. Oh, I'm excited to see what more is coming. This is great. Good stuff. Now I know that you, uh, you also, you know, just to kind of extend what you were just talking about with the injustice, the social injustice. I mean, we obviously know that there's, um, you know, animal injustice there, but right. you got to participate in the USDA dietary guidelines hearing for mm-hmm. 2020 through mm-hmm. 2025. Cause I think they do that hearing every five years. Is that right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, they review
1: the dietary guidelines for Americans every five years.
0: So yeah. they'll listen to
1: public commentary the year before they're going to change it again. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I know I'm going to put some uh, some links in the show notes so that way listeners can actually go and see some of the highlights from that. But you got to speak, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were talking about, uh, you know, dairy and, and you know, what you were just talking about as far as, um, you know, athletes are concerned. And can you just give us like the little Reader's Digest version of what your core message was to these people that are making these decisions on our behalf about nutrition?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, my commentary was, we had three minutes, so it's, you know, not, not long. You couldn't really go too deep and into the trenches. But um, I specifically, my ask was that they remove dairy as a food group on the dietary guidelines for Americans um, next year. So 2020, um, and that they'll release it in the summer. So, um, the public commentary section of the USD website actually doesn't close until May of next year. So if any of your listeners want to write in and share how they feel about our current plate, right? Our current dietary guidelines, um, they can do so. So that's lovely. Or that's probably not a great way to describe it, but it's it's good that we have the option to do that. How much they'll listen to it is probably another conversation. But um, sure. so my, that was my ask. And I gave um, some pretty hard facts about um, the health detriments of dairy. Um, but where I really uh, feel that the power was, was in this idea of food injustice and that putting dairy foods on a plate for Americans when way over half of them cannot tolerate or digest it and have really. Uh, noxious outcomes from having dairy in their system is a form of dietary racism. And that's what my main point was.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. And I know that uh, Dr. Milton Mills was also mm-hmm. there and speaking mm-hmm. on that sort of a yeah. subject as well. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. Yeah. Which is great that, that people are actually speaking up about this particular injustice because even, you know, especially people of color, like they don't really know that there's a big injustice happening there.
1: No. Yeah. We just don't know. None of us know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, you meet people all the time that are like suffering from something and it just, there's just, it doesn't even occur of what it could be. In fact, people will more likely say, I might have to try to take gluten out. That could be it. Way before mm-hmm. they're going to say, you know, it's just like, oh boy, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. that again, goes back to like what we've been taught and fed our whole lives, you know, and a lot of people think that they need dairy foods to get certain nutrients. Like it, it's not available in any other food, um, mm-hmm. you know, calcium for one, right. Which we know it is readily available in tahini and almonds and kale and bok choy and in way higher levels of absorbency too. So yeah. it's just knowledge and, you know, education. Yeah.
0: Yeah, of course. So speaking of knowledge and education, can you expand a little bit more on as far as dairy is concerned, as a food group, as a whole, like what Mm -hmm. exactly are we consuming when we're drinking a glass of milk, when we are eating a piece of cheese, when we're eating that yogurt, like what is in -hmm. it that is just Mm -hmm. so detrimental to our health?
1: Yeah. Well, I think all of us um, need to look at any food uh, that we're eating as you want to put into your body the most good with the least bad. I know that that was something that I focused on as an athlete, right? I want to, I want to bring in the most good with the least amount of bad. Cause you know, some foods have things in it that maybe you don't want. So that's the best way to describe what's happening with cow's milk. It has some nutrients in it. Of course it does. It's mother's milk for her baby. Like there's going to be, there better be nutrients in it. So, it has some calcium, is fortified with vitamin D, doesn't actually have vitamin D in it. Nothing does fortified. Um, and it has some potassium, it has some magnesium. But with those nutrients comes a laundry list of things that we don't want in our system and are not good for us and can really throw us off and perpetuate disease. So some of those things are saturated fat and some trans fats. So, you know, m- most people have kind of an idea of that, um, that role of saturated fat and trans fat in creating, um, arteriosclerosis and heart disease. And if you eat enough saturated fat and trans fat, you're, you're going to be on the road to our number one killer in the country, right? Heart disease. It also has a really high intense hormone cocktail because it's a, it's a, you know, it's a pregnant mother. Um, and I'm saying a pregnant mother because they impregnate them immediately. So as she's being milked for the milk that we see in the grocery store, she's already pregnant again. So for any, all the mothers out there who have been pregnant, Um, And you might've felt a little hormonal during that period of time, during and after. That's what we're drinking. So high levels of estrogen, progesterone, um, high levels of cortisol, which is our stress hormone, uh, testosterone, Um, 70% of our dietary estrogen that we consume comes from dairy foods. So multiple studies have shown uh, a direct link to prostate cancer and dairy foods, and um, some studies studies have shown a direct link to many of our hormonal based cancers. We all we all know, like I don't want to be taking in any more estrogen, right? That's where just even you know people are like, oh, I don't want to have soybean or tofu or something because there's estrogen. We don't want to be taking any estrogen. We know that's not good in terms of cancer, um, and it's it's especially harmful for the hormonal based cancers like breast cancer, ovarian cancer prostate cancer, um, uterine cancer. So the, the really playing with fire, um, drinking or eating dairy foods. And then if you have a yogurt or a cheese, those are highly condensed versions of a glass of milk, right? So then you're, you're getting more than you ever even thought possible in a, just a single glass of milk. Um, so that's just a, you know, quick description of of, of some of the reasons that we want to lean into other foods that give us those nutrients, that give us the calcium, give us the magnesium, give us the potassium, which are loads and loads of foods, uh, you know, plenty of plant foods, especially, and then without all that bad. Exactly. You know,
0: and also speaking of the injustice as it comes, you know, when it comes to our food, let's talk a little bit about those cows, because I know that, you know, a lot of people Tend to gravitate more mm-hmm. towards health when they make this switch. Mm-hmm. Other people, like you and I have experienced for ourselves, we start down that path because we have an emotional connection we make a a specific connection to uh, the empathy that we have for these animals that are being exploited for producing these products that we're consuming, right? So Mm -hmm. as far as the cows are concerned, for listeners that don't really understand what that process looks like, can you kind of take us through the, the life cycle of a dairy cow?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, we have been well i know we have been fed a lot of lies in in terms of you know happy cows and grassy fields and wonderfully taken care of um but even if you just want to remove that right because i'm not here to argue uh what is the difference between the 10,000 cow industrialized farm and the 10 cow you know, 15 cow farmer that cares about his cow's dairy farm, because there's everything, you know, and obviously, if you're um, most you know, 96, 97% of our dairy comes from large industrialized farms. So if you are walking down the street and buying your local, you know, pasture raised, whatever they you know, all the terms that they use to make us feel good about it, which is, you know, what a lot of people are, are saying, um, I, I would I hear a lot like, oh, no, 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 I buy like the, you know, I even hear hormone free and you're like, that's impossible because <laughs> exactly. right, it's, a, it's a mammal and it's it filled with hormones. Um, so even if you're just, if you're doing that, if you just stop for a second to think about why farmers are raising cows and impregnating them and having them being milked is for um, profit. I mean, that that's what they do for a living. So if you are to do that and you have the babies of the mothers drink the milk, what's going to happen to your profits? They're going to plummet because you need the people who are going to pay money for the milk to be drinking the milk, us humans. So even in the most wonderful of settings, they are still stealing babies from their mothers and there's the you know half a percent of farms that don't make any profit and they, they their their babies will stay with them longer okay uh, cuz i always they're like no there's those great there's 20 of them in america of those little tiny farms for the rest of it and all of the horizon and organic valley and fair life and all that shit in the grocery store that as has done they've done a ton of undercover investigations on is the most the highest level of horrifying cruelty you've ever seen both to the cows and and how they treat them and the misery a day-to-day that they live in um, but just the fact that the mothers are torn away from their babies at around 24 to 48 hours so that then we can hook them up to machines, milk the crap out of them for four to five times a day so that the milk can go to us, repregnate them, have it happen again and again. And they carry their babies for nine months just like we do. They give birth without any, there's, there's no pain relief. There's no, oh, here, now here's your epidural. Um, you know, so painful. And then the baby's gone into the shed. You know, in the little boxes, they go for veal, uh, and the mother goes through it again and again and again and again until she is so exhausted and so empty that she is considered spent by the industry, which means she just can't produce enough milk, uh, so the farmer's not making the profit that that he once was or she once was, and then she goes off to slaughter. So that's a dairy cow's life.
0: Yeah. And now, and, and, and dairy cows, they, you know, can live, um, what an average of 15, 20 years, maybe 25. Any
1: cow can. Yeah. yeah. Beef cow, I mean, they're, yeah, their, their, their lifespan is, um, I know a few on, on sanctuary properties, 20, 21, 22. The, 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 oh, absolutely. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And so, of course, mm-hmm. and they're not
0: getting, you know, they, they don't get to retire. And, and you know, like after they produce for the industry and go, you know, like enjoy their life on pasture somewhere or get shipped to a sanctuary, yeah. you know, they, unfortunately, that's, right. the, that's the McDonald's hamburger.
1: Exactly. The cheap meat. There's no like, you know, dairy cow sanctuary. It, it, there's 265 million dairy cows on the planet right now. Maybe a few more. Um, so there's no... Sanctuary that has these two hundred sixty five million dairy cows that are be ready for slaughter in let's say, you know, two three four years, um, you 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 can't find that. So it's you know, I, and I I I I didn't know any of this either, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was it's not. I mean, p- people just don't think about it. it's like oh, it's just milking a cow. What's the problem, you know? But if you're if if you're a vegetarian it's It doesn't make sense that you're not vegan because the the dairy cows it's 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 horror and then they kill them mm-hmm. you know what i mean they're they are they are dying they're they're, they're not they're not kept alive and, and have this this great life after they're you know milked for a while it's not it, you know we don't even we wouldn't even have a room for that many cows on the planet yeah if we kept the dairy cows you know kept sent them to sanctuary
0: yeah exactly yeah yeah. Well yeah. and then and this is good for just for listeners to hear just because some people you know they they just don't know like and and that's what we're here for, right? We're here True. to make sure yeah. that people get little pieces of the information so they can put the puzzle together for themselves and if they feel so compelled to actually look into it a little bit further and go deeper with understanding why so many people, particularly the athletes that are coming out of the woodworks like you, you know just hitting the scene mm-hmm. and being like, hey, you can you can look like this, you can perform like this, and you don't need any meat dairy or eggs to do it it's like. People are like, okay, why? <laughs> and so they come to, yeah, you know, like right. do it switch for good. Right. They come to me at eating, like you give it down. They're like, what's going on with these people? Like, so, so it's up to us to kind of feed them that information mm-hmm. and make sure that
1: people, yeah, and then and then people can just make their own choices. Right. They can figure out what fits in their view of the world and how it should be and how it should work, and they can make their own decisions. And if they think that maybe that's that that's not quite okay, but they don't really believe it, you you could go tour. You could go tour dairy farms. I've been. They'll. Oh, they'll they'll let you in. I mean, you know, and you're not going to see the the really bad stuff because they're not going to do that while you're there, but you'll still see, you'll see the calves in the little boxes and you'll see the moms hooked up to the machine. I mean, just that alone to me is like, that's like matrix stuff. Like what the hell are we doing? Mm. I mean, that's not, and it's not necessary. That's the thing, right? That's your point. Like it's not a necessary uh, food group for humans. Yeah. If it were, then we'd maybe have dead for conversation, but we, we don't need it at yeah, all. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah That's yeah. the whole
0: point of the whole
1: thing. Yeah.
0: It's <laughs> not necessary for sure. Right. Right. Oh, cool. So um, yeah. okay, so now we're coming up on the holidays. And so we've got some people that are like, okay, so I'm I'm learning this information. I want to start making some changes. What the hell, Dotsy, do I make for Thanksgiving? <laughs> <laughs> I like, what would be the centerpiece of the Christmas dinner? Like what, what do you say to that?
1: <laughs> right, right. I know, I know. Well, so you may have to just disconnect from this, this need to have like a large, um, you know, dead bird in the center of the table. Because if you kind of want to go down this path, that's not going to be a part of it. And you might all have also have to disconnect from there being like a large anything in the middle of the table. Because yes, you can do... Uh, tofurky. and yes you can do you know the the I think field roast makes a role you know but it's it's uh it, Thanksgiving is about giving thanks, right? And it's about family and friends and being together and loving on each other and laughing and playing games and I think that we have definitely as a society connected ourselves more to what's on the table than what we're really there for, right? Being together you know, leaning into each other, enriching relationships. That's what it's about. The food's kind of like a side thing that we do while we're doing that. So that that was a big, uh, that was helpful for me in my transition, right? Because I had a first Thanksgiving where I was like, well, crap, what am I going to, you know, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? And I just, it was awesome because I was like, I'm going to lean in, into the people more, you know what I mean? And enjoy the food that I brought. So if you're if you're thinking about doing this, remember that. Remember that's why you're there, right? It's not for the creamed corn it's to be there with your grandmother. <laughs> like That's just the point. Yeah. And then when you go, um, you know, be open to going. I, I recognize that if, if you're, the lens of the world has shifted, it may be difficult to see the dead bird in the middle of the table. Still go and take a bunch of vegan dishes. And if you're like, how am I going to make a bunch of vegan dishes? Honestly, I personally think, and this is what I did my first Thanksgiving. I just went to Google. I the three by three favorite dishes. I, I like the cream mushroom green beans. Um, I love scallop potatoes and um, I love macaroni and cheese. Okay. So I'm like, I'm taking those. If you literally go to the internet and put in vegan scalloped potatoes or vegan creamed green beans, and a recipe comes up a lot of them. And they're amazing. And it's all, all it is is small switches, right? Like you're going to switch out dairy milk for some different plant milks. And the chefs are amazing. They'll always tell you, you know, almond milks worked best for this or oat milk works best for this recipe or what to do. There's replacements for for eggs. If you take flaxseed meal and you take a tablespoon of flaxseed meal with three tablespoons of water and mix it up, it binds in baking and recipes like an egg. So you'll, all of this stuff will just rise to the top. You use earth balance instead of dairy butter. It's crazy easy. It really is. So take your favorite dishes, just veganize them. And then don't tell anyone that they're vegan. Definitely don't tell anyone (laughs) that they're
0: vegan. That is the
1: best part. I love that. And just let them go crazy. And then you tell them after or the next day. Yeah. And they'll be, they'll be surprised and just go have a great time with your family. Um, and then, you know, sort of see what happens those days later. Cause people are going to start asking questions. They're not going to believe how delicious it was. Um, and then you'll have an opportunity, right. To share why you're not eating animals anymore.
0: Yeah. That's perfect. That's such great advice too. Awesome. Man, Dotsie, it's been so cool having you here on the show. So this has been awesome. Yeah. This is really cool. So what kind of like final thoughts do you have that you want to leave listeners with before we find out how we can go deeper with you and then say goodbye?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just, I think, you know, especially since it's this time of year, like you said, encouraging people to just focus on progress, not perfection not worrying about if they're if they're hearing this episode or many of your other wonderful episodes and they're they kind of want to try it don't let the the need to think that you need to do it perfect stop you from just taking a first step just do something one one meal one day in your afternoon burrito don't get shredded chicken and put in black beans don't get sour cream and stick in avocado just take baby steps. No one needs to do this overnight. Um, So just enjoy the new flavors, enjoy the new plants, try a new vegetable every week. I always say that at the market. I still try to do that and I get in ruts and habits and don't, but try, try new things, let the flavors come alive. And, um, just remember to take some steps and don't think you have to do it perfectly. And if you mess up, if you want to call it that no big deal, you know, so we live to fight another get another day, just as we should with anything, right? Like, don't be so hard on ourselves. Yeah, totally. Very good advice. Very cool.
0: All right, Dotsy. So tell us your mission with Switch for Good, and then how can listeners find you there? Tell us about your podcast, all that good stuff you got going on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we do, um, we have a variety of different initiatives at Switch for Good. If you go to switchforgood.org, so it's switch the number four, um, .org, you can really learn all about us. And we're Switch for Good on like every single social media channel. So super easy. Um, we do have a podcast that is, um, shockingly called Switch for Good. So that's easy to find too. I hosted alongside Alexandra Paul, who's a longtime activist. Um, she's also a longtime actress. She was, um, Baywatch star for many years, and she is lovely and funny, and we just have the best time. Um, so yeah, if people feel like tuning into that, we we have athletes on, and doctors, and dietitians, and um, some celebrities, and just you know, we just we we just do something similar to what you do, right? We just we just have conversations, and we pull out what people have to bring um, to the table, and we just try to, um, provide a little bit different type of thinking, right. Than the, the, the mainstream. Yeah. 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 Totally.
0: Awesome. It has been so awesome having you here. Thank you so much for joining me, Dotsie. You're a freaking rock star. You too. <laughs> All right. Thank you. That was Dotsie Bausch, Olympian renowned speaker and co-founder of switch for good. Visit switchforgood.org to view the groundbreaking commercial we talked about that aired on NBC during the 2018 Winter Olympic Games closing ceremonies and also on ABC during the Academy Awards broadcast. And that's switchthenumberforgood.org. You can find a YouTube link to Dotsie's recap of the USDA 2020 hearing posted by Plant-Based News which discusses the food injustice particularly involving people of color. That link is in the show description for this episode within your podcast player. Follow the initiative on Facebook and Instagram at Switch for Good and tune into the Switch for Good podcast. And when you do, holler at Dotsie and let her know you heard her here on the Eating Like You Give a Damn podcast. This wraps us up for our first 20 episode season of the show and what an incredible season it has been we are taking some time off for the holidays and to round up next season's incredible guests while also helping vegan coaches to maximize their income and impact so they can become better advocates for the global shift towards a plant-based future now if you like this episode please consider leaving a review in itunes or apple podcasts so that more people can easily find the show And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on the new episodes starting back up after the holidays. If you are new to the podcast and this is your first listen, go back and check out previous episodes. There is such a variety of topics under the plant-based umbrella, and each expert and celebrity guest brings such a unique perspective to each idea. If you're looking for vegan-friendly support and recipes and updates on the show, request to join our Facebook group of Rebels at eatinglikeyougiveadam.com forward slash group. I really appreciate every one of you listeners. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and Dotsie today. And until next time, veg on, Rebels.